if we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. This great nation will endure as it has endured. Let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. You are about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. We're not, as some would have us believe, doomed to an inevitable decline. I do not believe in a fate that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a fate that will fall on us if we do nothing. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. From every mountainside, let freedom ring, and if America is to be a great nation, this must become true. So let freedom ring. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Here's your host, Bob France. Yes, indeed. Excuse me, it is. And a good morning to you. Thank you for joining us on Always Right Radio, AM 1420. The answer, it is Tuesday, and it is the 22nd morning of the 11th month of the year of our Lord, 2022. I wish you a very early, uh, very happy early Thanksgiving as uh, we have just two more live broadcasts scheduled in this week. We're going to be live, or excuse me, we are going to be uh, best of show mode for you on Thanksgiving Day, Thursday, and on Friday. So we're going to make these days count. I welcome you to the program. I invite you to call us if and when you are ready at 216-901-0945, will work just as well. And... Uh, we're going to talk to Peter Kirsten out today. He's our only guest. And you know what? Peter is enough for two guests, maybe three, depending on the mood that he's in. But Peter is going to join us to talk about a whole host of issues coming up at 1010 this morning. Not the least of which I suspect will be education and the ongoing indoctrination and the ongoing grooming and other things that are going on um, in American classrooms, public and private slash parochial. Peter was on the panel that uh, I was uh, honored to um, to moderate on Saturday at Nioka's um, terrific symposium. Nioka is Northeast Ohio Classical Academy. Uh, they are in the process, the board is, of putting together all of the funding and all of the resources needed to open the first um, classical academy charter school, public charter school in Northeast Ohio. These schools are already going on. Um, in uh, other parts of the country and other parts of the state, 
Uh, but we're going to have our first one here hopefully opened up by 2024. I'm a very staunch and strong supporter of this. I know um, Peter Kersenow is as well. And we're going to talk about what the problems are right now with the current uh, state of the public school education system. And I think you know what most of them are because you listen to this program on a fairly regular basis. Or rather, if you do, you'll know exactly what they are. So Peter will join us at 1010 this morning. That means plenty of time for free-for-all phone calls for you. I do have some direction that I want to give you, but you are welcome to dial when you're ready with your comments at 216-901-0945. So there's this thing going on right now called the World Cup. It's like the World Cup soccer tournament i think is is what it is is it is it soccer i think it is you see i won't i don't know because i have steadfastly refused to engage in or watch uh anything remotely resembling soccer for pretty much most of my adult life uh but i'm told that it's going on and i'm told there might be a reason we should pay attention to it and i think there may be some truth to that It has nothing to do with the eternal boredom of the game. It has nothing to do with the fact that they're going to play for 60 minutes or 90 minutes or whatever it is they play. I don't don't know. I know that they never know how long they're going to play because they add more time to the game after the game is supposed to be over. And they say, ah, keep playing for a few more minutes, whatever that means. So however long it is, uh, the eternal boredom of watching that thing for 60 or 90 or 100 or whatever it is minutes and uh, usually one to nothing or two to one scores or worse yet, one to one after nothing or after all of that time. Aside from my disgust for the sport as an entertainment vehicle, as a matter of fact, when a commercial comes on for World Cup soccer when I'm watching regular TV, I consider it a hate crime. I do because it's an assault on my eyes and they're left scarred uh, and it's not pleasant. But aside from that, there is a reason to pay attention to the World Cup. And let me explain why. According to uh, multiple reports, there's an American soccer reporter. God love the guy for for taking on that burden. um, Named Grant Wall, who went to the World Cup games in Qatar or Qatar, depending on how. I prefer Qatar, but some people call it Qatar. He went to report on the tournament uh, or a match or whatever, and he tried to go in wearing a gay pride rainbow shirt. They would not allow him. They told him he had to change that shirt or he can't come in. Cutter is well known for its abysmal record on human rights, including its usage of migrant labor, to construct facilities for the very event that they're hosting right now, the World Cup. Virtual slave labor, but moreover, they are notoriously anti-gay. It's one of the countries, and there are many countries like this in the world, Muslim-dominated countries, it, where, where homosexuality is punishable by prison or death. That's pretty barbaric. I don't know anybody that doesn't think that's barbaric. And I don't know anybody that wouldn't think that telling somebody not to come in because of a rainbow shirt, um, you know, is is appropriate. I don't think I don't know anybody who thinks that's appropriate. And I want to use this to compare the allegations of anti-LGBTQ in this country to real anti-LGBTQ policies in other countries like Qatar or Qatar. You see, what they're doing here in the United States is 
whenever people rise up in defense of children being recruited and coerced and groomed into an alternative lifestyle, like one of these, one of the alphabet letters, alphabet soup letters. When we defend kids, when we criticize grown men wearing women's lingerie and shaking their rear ends in the faces of children, either asking for dollars while they do it or teaching the children to turn and how to shake their own rear ends in such ways. When grown men wearing lingerie want to spend time with your children in any capacity, I've said this before, you don't call that a drag show, you call the police. People say if we condemn those things, if we condemn the the intentional imposition of pronouns or questions as to their sexual orientation of little children who don't have sexual orientations at ages in which they don't feel sexual attraction of any kind and they don't even understand what sexuality means. But when these things are forced upon children and we complain, we're branded as anti-LGBTQ and thus responsible for violent acts committed against LGBTQ people, like the shooting in Colorado Springs. So I want to use the eternal boredom of the World Cup soccer tournament in a positive way here, and that is to express and show the difference. No one here in the United States would tell Grant Wall, soccer reporter, no conservative, no anti-grooming, no anti-drag show with children. American citizens and patriots would tell Grant Wall, soccer reporter, he can't wear a gay pride shirt. That's not anti-gay. Well, excuse me. What is anti-gay is what they're doing in Qatar, where they are literally saying, you can't wear a gay pride shirt. You can't wear it. You must change it. Nobody would do that here. The difference is what we ask Grant Wall, soccer reporter, and anyone else on the American left that considers us to be threats, considers us to be dangerous, all we ask is that you don't force us to wear one. That's the bottom line. Wear your gay pride shirt. Wear a shirt that isn't even ambiguous. It just might be colorfully designed with rainbow colors. And people assume that it's a, it's a pro LGBT shirt. You can wear one that says, I love gays. I am gay. I am trans. You wear a shirt saying whatever you want. We value freedom of speech. We value freedom of expression. And we do not oppose you if you want to be gay or if you are gay or if you are any one of those letters. All we ask is don't force us to participate in your parade if it's not something that we're comfortable with. And don't force us to participate in your marriage ceremonies if it violates our religious doctrine. And don't force us to participate in your delusion if you want to be one sex and pretend to be another or two or three different kinds. Or splitting yourself, depending on what day it is, as to which one you are, by calling you non-existent words as quote-unquote pronouns, or using actual pronouns incorrectly, by plural or possessive. No, or by opposite sex. All we're saying is don't include us, and go live your life. Have fun. 
Don't include us. Don't force us. And don't force yourself and your ideas and your lifestyle on young, impressionable children. You want to see what anti-gayness looks like, American liberals? Watch the World Cup. Watch the stories. Read the stories. Listen to the stories coming out of Qatar where the World Cup is being held. You'll see what anti-gay looks like. It is not anti-gay. It is not anti-LGBTQ in the United States of America to say, don't groom kids. Kids are off limits. It is not anti-gay to say, don't force a Christian or Catholic who believes in the Bible to make your gay wedding cake or to perform the DJ services, band services, floral services, photography services, whatever, website services for your upcoming same-sex wedding. Don't force people to do it if they're not comfortable with it or if it's just in their faith. Find somebody else to do it. That is called freedom. That is called liberty. That is what's called the United States of America. You are free to be what you want. You are not free to force or compel other people to do something to affirm what you are or what you say you are or to affirm or perform uh, in support of something that is a direct violation of their actual religious faith. So I'm, I'm kind of glad the World Cup is going on. While I might consider watching World Cup soccer the equivalent of being forced to watch you know, a marathon of The View which is just completely impossible to do. Um, while I might just say, oh my gosh, I can't stand it, get it out of here. Um, because it is. It's like being forced to watch The View. Um, I will say that I'm glad it's going on right now, and I'm glad Grant Wall exposed what happened to him when he tried to go in in a rainbow shirt. In Qatar, which is, by the way, very strange that the World Cup, a multinational body that decides, you know, this is whatever the whatever the, the body is that holds the World Cup, the 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 what is it called, FIFA Federation Federation uh, of International Football, maybe, maybe that's why it's called FIFA. Anyway, I don't care. But they chose Qatar. They chose a nation that is very, very well known for its poor human rights and for its complete opposition to virtually anything homosexual. And so going over there and seeing what real anti-LGBTQ or anti-gay or whatever you want to call it looks like, it ought to provide some perspective. Here in the United States, those of us who oppose the grooming of children or the forced participation in things that, that, that are against their beliefs, uh, now you know what real anti-LGBTQ looks like. Watch the World Cup if you can tolerate it. 923, now before we get started and do anything else on the program, I'm going I'm to ask you, patriots, to stand, face your flag, put your hand on your heart, and join us for our Pledge of Allegiance if you believe in forcing people to participate in events that do not comport with their own personal religious doctrine. Well, then you don't understand what the freedom of the stars and the stripes represent anyway. You are thus exempted from the request to stand and pledge your allegiance to it. You may instead take a knee next to your favorite ex-quarterback. As for the rest of us, pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. 
Phone lines are open, 216-901-0945, 888-281-1110. It's always right radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Edu. I want to play for you here before the bottom of the hour news, about a minute and a half clip, to kind of let you know exactly what we're talking about. When we try to protect children, and it is turned into us being uh, the criminals, and we are somehow bullying or victimizing the LGBTQ community. This is Ben Collins on NBC doing uh, an interview in which he is commenting on an all-ages drag bunt brunch. You know what that means? Adult men wearing women's lingerie in front of children. All ages welcome. Listen to the defense. And I cannot hear the defense. I don't know why that would be at this moment in time. Let's try it one more time here. Um, How significant are those two dates? Yeah, and and also hours before what they called an all ages drag brunch, which is probably the number one target of these uh, anti-LGBTQ um, uh, events recently. Like, for example, the Proud Boys will go and protest any drag brunch, any um, any drag story hour, anything that a child might go to meet a, a drag queen, not, you know, just to show them that they're human beings and people. They talk, they, they go... They wanted to show them they were human beings and people. They would show up in jeans and polo shirts, not in women's lingerie to meet with children. There, and they, they read Dr. Seuss there. They read... Uh, regular books, uh, but it's read by a drag queen, and they, you know, they have breakfast. Yeah, they read them books and have breakfast with them, wearing lingerie and shaking their hairy asses in the children's faces. We've seen the videos, you groomer. Uh, it is not some hypersexual event, but that's what it's viewed as on the far right. It's not the far right; it's what we see on video. And these spaces have become dangerous places of real-life information warfare. There's Proud Boys showing up on one side. Sometimes people like local Antifa members show up on the other side as a as a way to... It, it, be, it becomes a place where kids aren't safe, not because of the event itself, but because of this culture war that's been propped up uh, on top of it. Uh, and uh, that's not something that should happen. This it's is- not a safe space for kids because grown men are dressing in sexualized lingerie in order to recruit and groom kids into thinking that's normal. Ben Collins and NBC, you're evil. You understand? You're evil groomers and indoctrinators, and you should not be allowed to be near school children. In fact, keep 500 yards away from any public school. We'll talk more after the news. Always Right Radio. something different this is always right with bob france on am 1420 the answer this uh, article is from january of this year so it's about 11 months old it is accurate um and anna slats is the co-founder and editor-in-chief at redux which is a journalistic focus on uh, covering crime uh, child predators women's rights and she wrote the history sourced and accurate 
of the gender movement, the gender identity movement, the gender fluidity movement. And the source goes back to a sexologist and psychologist from New Zealand who practiced at Johns Hopkins in Maryland named Dr. John Money. Dr. Dr. John Money's history is dark and controversial, the details of which are often neglected when discussing his contribution to the popularization of gender versus sex discourses. Like many sexologists, quoting now directly from the piece, Money believed pedophilia was a harmless sexuality, which when practiced properly led to the children suffering no harm. In fact, Money's theories on pedophilia were so sympathetic that to this day, his work is prominently featured on the website of NAMBLA. That's the North American Man-Boy Love Association, one of the longest established pederast rights groups. In the 90s, Dr. Money allowed himself to be featured in interviews with Pedica, which is a pedophile psychology journal named after the Greek adjective for boyish. And his work has been used by pedophile rights activists to refer to the younger partner in a pederastic relationship. In a 1991 interview for that journal, Dr. Money is quoted as saying, If I were to see the case of a boy, aged 10 or 11, who's intensely erotically attracted toward a man in his 20s or 30s, if the relationship is totally mutual and the bonding is genuinely totally mutual, then I would not call it pathological in any way. You let that sink in. Some some male in his 20s and 30s, having sex with a 10-year-old boy is not pathological and apparently not criminal. Money also noted that he never reported any pedophiles to police, even those who were actively abusing children. This is during his psychological practice. Uh, Abusing children due to his belief that adult child sex was normal and often beneficial. But his views on pedophilia hardly touch, uh, touch the darkest and most depraved facets of his history, those being reserved for the case of David Reimer. Born in Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada in 1965, Reimer was the victim of a botched medical circumcision when he was six months old. The procedure sought to address a urination problem Reimer was experiencing, but instead it left his genitalia mutilated beyond repair. Reimer's parents took him to Baltimore to see Dr. Money in 1967, concerned about his first sexual and romantic prospects. At the time, Money was known for his research with intersex people and was considered a pioneer of gender reassignment. Money recommended that Reimer be subjected to a genital reconstruction to create a vulva and suggested to his parents that raising him as a girl would be in his best interests. He was convinced that gender could be socially learned, and Reimer provided an ideal subject through which to test his theories due to him having a twin brother, Brian, that could be used as a male control. Throughout his early childhood, Reimer was never told he was born a male. He was subjected to hormone therapy early on in order to lead through uh, lead him through a female puberty. Reimer was regularly seen by Money, who tracked his progress in an effort to demonstrate his theory that gender was malleable. During checkups, Money would subject the twin boys to disturbing experiments. They were forced to replicate sexual intercourse with each other, touch and inspect each other's genitals, watch pornography. Money would show them smut magazines and exhibit sexual photos of kids. He would then prod them about their sexual arousal. Both of the twins, no music, please. Both of the twins were just six years old. Later, testimony from one of the twins stated that Money had two sides to his personality, one when the parents were around, one when they were alone. When alone with the children, Money was abusive and got irate with them for refusing to perform for him, for his study. As David Reimer aged, he began increasingly resistant to seeing Money and begged his parents not to be forced to go to Baltimore for checkups with him. 
By the age of 14, Reimer was experiencing suicidal ideations and refused any further contact with money. He demanded with the truth from his parents, which they eventually told him in 1980. Despite that, Dr. John Money proceeded to declare his experiments a success, and his findings have been used in later studies to justify genital surgeries imposed on some intersex kids with ambiguous genitalia. Both Reimer and his brother would take their own lives. Brian committed suicide via drug overdose in 2002 after a long battle with schizophrenia. David shot himself in the head in 2004 at the age of 38. Their parents stated they attributed their son's death to the trauma imparted upon them from Money's methods. And despite the disturbing origins, Money's legacy lives on in the concept of gender as a unique and quantifiable element apart from sex. It also lives on in the existence of gender identity clinics, the first of which was established by Money himself at Johns Hopkins in 1965. So while proponents of this trans ideology sometimes misappropriate money's abusive experiments on Reimer as proof that a person cannot be forced to live as a gender they are not. The gloss, they gloss over the critical reality that Reimer's experience demonstrates a, person, demonstrates a person cannot be something they are not. Full stop. John Money was a pervert, a child abuser, and a pedophile sympathizer, if not a pedophile himself. And if a movement finds its origins in a man like John Money, it is time for that movement to do some gendered soul searching that's the truth that's the reality and that's what we are pushing back against today in defense of children i will never apologize for that back after the news with peter kersenow and odyssey you and i have a rendezvous with destiny we'll preserve for our children this the last best hope of man on earth or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness Always Right Radio with Bob France on AM 1420. The answer. Hour number two underway now on this Tuesday. It is the it is now nine minutes after ten o'clock. It is the twenty second morning of the eleventh month of the year of our Lord twenty twenty two Thanksgiving week, and I will indeed celebrate it as such. We have a lot to be thankful for in this country. We have a lot to be thankful for in our lives, and we will not allow anybody who likes to rewrite. American history to take that from us. Let's uh, welcome our good friend, Mr. Peter Kersenow. Kersenow brings his own cheering section wherever he goes. He did it at the uh, breakfast uh, the other morning in uh, Barview Heights as well. Uh, they come along and they say uh, they applaud for Peter Kersenow with pretty good reason. Peter, of course, is the longest serving ever member of the United States Commission on Civil Rights. He is a Cleveland attorney. He is a best-selling author. He's a sometimes columnist with National Review. He hosts the Kersenow Report on AM 1420, The Answer. And Peter, you have book signings coming up because of the official release coming up if you're latest. Tell us more. Oh, boy. Hey, thanks very much. Uh, Thanks for being so thoughtful. Yeah, um, my uh, next novel, Devil's Weapons, comes out December 9th. And, uh, boy, I should have this in front of me. You kind of caught me off guard, but there (laughs) will be uh, uh, one of these webinars, or not webinars, but uh, an interview next, uh, I think it's tomorrow. Uh, and I don't remember what time it was. The one, the, the uh, thing that a... I have for you here, Peter. I apologize for doing this to you. I, I, I kind of, I kind of thought this is the only one I needed to know for now, and that is Thursday, December eighth, five p.m. You're going to be doing a Facebook Live thing. Oh yeah, uh, right. Yes, with Mark yes. Cameron. I have that one in front of me now. If you've got something else, go ahead. 
Yeah, well, I've got another one tomorrow. It's uh, it's a online, and I I am not prepared. <laughs> I should be better prepared on this stuff. <laughs> I mean, it is a book, you know, that I'm writing. I, I've written, but I'll be better prepared next week when uh, uh, I have the other. Uh, we've got a rollout planned, and as you indicated, with Mark Cameron, who um, does the Jack Ryan, does the um, um, Tom Clancy deal. So uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. This is this is exciting, and I've got a couple more books coming out in the next several months. So. Uh, it'll be fun. I'll, I'll keep you updated. I'm sorry. I'm, <laughs> this is very embarrassing. An author doesn't even. No, 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 not at all. I, I, I didn't. I didn't tell you I was going to do this. I just know that I knew the December eighth thing was coming, and I want to prime people for it. What's the official release date, Pete? I know you know that, right? It's December ninth. Yeah, it's okay, the next there you day. Go. It's December ninth. We see. Yeah, you were you were prepared for that one. Uh, it is December 9th, so you can pre-order that book, and that's what I really want to do is prime people up for this. Uh, it's in the W.E.B. Griffin series, uh, a minute war novel by Peter Kirsten, now called The Devil's Weapons. Comes out December 9th. Look for. It. It'll be an amazing read, I have no doubt. Uh, and then again, there are going to be uh, opportunities to talk with Peter about this. Uh, there's going to be you know Facebook events and, and web events, and you're probably going to do a book signing tour, I would imagine, as well. So just keep posted. We talk to Pete every week, so I'll make sure that you are up to date on when and where you can talk to Peter about his book. All right, Kirstenau, uh let's dive into uh, a, a number of things. Um, I want to start with, um, why are the Browns as bad as they are? <laughs> Because <laughs> they haven't had me in there for one play. One no, and six I'm, I'm in bad. their last seven, Pete. And I know you're like me, are turned off by the NFL and virtually all pro sports because of the wokeness level. But I also know you're watching at least with one eye. Uh, well, it's painful, isn't it? Yeah, I, I just, you know, I, one eye's not even in. I mean, I, I peek in. If they're winning, maybe I'll stay for a little bit longer. Um, it's really uh, interesting. I spoke with a couple of people just kind of casually and let them know that, you know, I've really, to a large extent, lost interest in the NFL that I thought was never possible. But I am not the avid fan that I used to be, say, 20 years ago. Now, some of that's a matter of age, and, you know, of course, the Browns' fortunes are not the greatest in the world. But there's no doubt that it took a huge dip when they started kneeling, and it's never come back. Uh, I think they've alienated a significant... If they've alienated me, I know they've alienated a significant portion of their fan base. And when I was looking at some of the ratings and and attendance records and things of that nature, they have taken a sizable dip, no matter what they try to say. They've been been hit by this. Uh, But nonetheless, with respect to the Browns, um, I'm baffled because on paper, at least, they've got personnel. Okay, Yeah, Jacoby Brissett is not going to be mistaken for Tom Brady, but by the same token, from time to time, for periods during the game, (laughs) he actually throws a nice ball, uh, but uh, you know we've got the the best running backs around. We've got you know we've got decent personnel. Uh, you know I, I always refrain from blaming coaches. You know as as guys who've played before, we know that this usually a cop out. Oh, the coach didn't come up with the right strategy. Called the wrong plays. Uh, you got to play the game on the field no matter what. But uh, nonetheless, there are coaches who have a better track record. Again, I'm not blaming Stefanski, but you've got to look at every facet of what's going on here because the Browns should be doing better. Yeah, I'll tell you something, Peter. I feel sorry not for Kevin Stefanski, nor for Jimmy Haslam, nor for Andrew Barry, nor for Jacoby Brissett, Nick Chubb, or anybody having to do with that organization. The hell with them. I feel badly for the Browns fans. The fans that just every year they get a little bit more excited. Maybe this is the one. Maybe this is the one. Look at the Super Bowl ta- caliber roster here. We could do it now. And it's just one body blow after another that they just continue to absorb. So that's probably why you are, you know, becoming less and less of one. You're tired of those body blows and, uh, yep. uh, you know, you're not a, you're not a masochist, but most Browns fans are masochists. I say that not critically. I say that really, you know, that's a badge of uh, honor. I think if you can continue to come out and support this year after year after year when it's been the worst run franchise 
I believe in all of professional team sports over the course of the last, at least the last 30 years. So that's Well, Detroit story. Lions will give you a run for your money. Maybe, maybe. But the, the Detroit Lions didn't go 1-31 in 31 over a two-year span. Uh, they, they didn't have, you know, 75 quarterbacks in 20 years either. Uh, so I, don't, I, I, I still think this one has run worse. Okay, Pete, now let's dive into a couple of other things. I, I, I brought this to your attention uh, privately, but I want to ask you about it publicly because I know how you feel about cancellation, and I know you, how you feel about the, erase, the erasing of history, trying to view... Um, you know, uh, historical uh, situations, historical uh, decisions, and historical leaders through modern lenses. That's the kind of thing that leads to attacks on statues and schools of named after Thomas Jefferson, George Washington, for crying out loud. We're talking about some of the most uh, important names in American history, well, revolutionary history. These are the people responsible for this country existing right now, and the good that it has done over the last uh, two and a half centuries can never, ever be undone. But yet they want to continue to say, today we see things a certain way, and therefore, since they didn't see them exactly that way 250 years ago-ish, um, then they've got to go. And you're a graduate of Cornell, but you're a graduate with your uh, law degree, your JD from Cleveland's Marshall College of Law, and it is no longer going to be Cleveland's Marshall College of Law because the full Cleveland State University Board of Trustees has voted to change the name, to remove a reference to U.S. Supreme Court Justice John Marshall, Chief Justice from 1801 to 1835, because he's come under new scrutiny for upholding slavery and his ownership of a large number of slaves. Quote, in a majority-minority city, the Marshall name does not represent the community of Cleveland, uh, the committee said in its report, which it presented to the University Board of Trustees. The committee also noted that Marshall had no ties to the school. Cleveland State would become the third law school in the span of 18 months to remove John Marshall's name from their school. Pete, John Marshall, I mean, I'm a, I'm a loose student of history. I know what John Marshall's role was as the first Supreme, uh, Chief Justice of the United States Supreme Court to truly expand the power of the court and to truly um, grow what the founders intended as our uh, you know, three-tiered system of justice uh, with three separate but co-equal branches. His contribution to the growth of this country is it's it's too vast to really put into words, and yet he doesn't deserve to be on the names of law schools now because of modern uh, modern viewpoints. How do you see that as a graduate? Yeah, um, well, I've got a lot of issues with respect to it, and it <clears throat> transcends John Marshall, but uh, it goes to the broader impulse and across our society of erasing names, everything from Lincoln to Madison, you name it, everybody. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, and I'm an adult. I went there, and I didn't turn into a slaveholder, by the way, by attending John uh, Cleveland Marshall College of Law. Strangely enough, you know, I didn't become, you know, some kind of a racist as a result of doing so. And I don't think we're honoring uh, the institution. Um, I, I think it's juvenile and insipid in many ways. And I'm not blaming anybody who's decided to go along with this woke idiocy. Um, there's a lot of reasons why people go along with woke idiocy. Okay, and I'm, I'm not going to judge. I was not on the board, or, and I didn't do any of this stuff. But nonetheless. Having said that, I think it's an abomination when we do it broadly. Uh, the tearing down of statue, my alma mater, Cornell, 
this this uh, past summer removed a bust of Lincoln and in an original one of the five original manuscripts of the Gettysburg Address because of a complaint from a student. Uh, when we found out about it, and I wrote about it and everything, and a number of alums who've got much deeper pockets than I, a few, few of them are rumored to be billionaires, got a little bit excited about this and got in touch with the university. And of course, when people with a lot of money uh, start squawking, then that gets everyone's attention. They reinstated the bust of Lincoln. But can you imagine that? That's where we are today. Bob, let me give you a little bit of background on this. And I, I knew, you know, we, we had, you, you texted me your interest in, in uh, talking about this, but I haven't, you know, had any time to prep, except for earlier in this year, I wrote a piece on, um, you know, it's just something that, I don't know, came up to my mind on Yuri Bezmenov. Most of you don't know who that is, but he was a KGB defector about 40 years ago, came over to the United States. And there was a video of him talking to uh, members of, I think it was the CIA, and he was telling them what the KGB was doing. And they've got all these protocols that you can see in the Venona cables, by the way, that we got in you know, the 1950s of what the strategy of the Soviet Union was. And he warned against this impulse to voluntarily, Im- to, to just remove statues, history, and all of that, because what he said is, if we can get educational institutions to voluntarily embrace the removal of our history like this, the cancellation of individuals, then it would be impossible to salvage rationality and freedom. When you remove the Washingtons, Jeffersons, the Marshalls, and folks like that, you do their work for them. Erase the foundational underpinnings of, of the United States of America. Erase our history. And he said, we, we actively sought to do that. But now educational institutions are voluntarily embracing the policy of the KGB. As nutty as that sounds, that is precisely what's going on here. And when you do that, again, we have no foundation to which to be tethered, to keep us moored in our foundational principles. We, we also have a bunch of Lilliputians who are trying to tear down giants in history. Every human being has flaws, and some flaws are big, some flaws are small, but you judge people based on the, the mores and standards of the time in which they grew up. Okay, or time in which they existed. A hundred years from now, they're going to have to continue take down, taking down statues of people who are, whose statues or images are being erected or painted today. And we're never going to be able to comply with the standards and mores of some epoch in history. It's never going to happen. So I think it's a fool's errand, but I also think it's part of a broader enterprise and, and a dangerous run where we start to lose an understanding of where the United States came from. Flaws in all. It's the greatest republic in the history of the world. And guess what? These people that we like to chastise and claim are racist and everything else, those were the folks who put it together. And as I say, the Lilliputians of today, Joe Biden, think of Joe Biden, for example, in contrast to a John Marshall or just about any great figure from history, not even a great figure, a minor history uh, figure from history. But here we have individuals who are like little termites trying to chip away at the greatness of America. And greatness doesn't necessarily mean perfect. That's, what the, that's what's so amazing to me. We've become so infantilized that we can't grasp that concept. And we do symbolic things like removing names from statues or re- removing names and statues uh, from public squares or buildings uh, or other enterprises. Really, I, I, I just I can't take it anymore. <laughs> I don't like fighting this battle. I've been doing it on the Civil Rights Commission forever and ever, amen, but my goodness. We are, and, you know, Bob, it, it segues. Dude, I don't want to hear signs of fatigue from you. I, I don't want to hear signs of fatigue from you. 
Uh, oh, no, no. You know me. I'm always up for the fray. You know? All right. But I, I want to make you know, sure. <laughs> I know you're tired of it. We all are. We're all tired of it. But, Peter, that is exactly what they're waiting for. They're waiting for us to get tired of fighting it because the waves of this continue to crash into us. Uh, and they're waiting for us to just say, I'm done. Uh, and we can't do that. And you are too important to that fight. So, uh, you know, take a break if you need to. Go have a cup of coffee. But you make sure you stay engaged. <laughs> in this fight. It's important. It is. I mean, erasing our history, you know the drill. Erasing our history, uh, you know, taking these very important uh, individuals in in, in the uh, uh, liberation of this country, the formation of this country, and casting them aside as, oh, they were slaveholders, therefore anything they did doesn't count, um, is is just so dangerous, uh, and, and it really, really subjects all of us to. And, and in fact, Pete, let me, all right, 1023 here, let's take a time out, because I want to come back and I want to tie this <clears throat> To the way our kids are being taught about these about these figures uh, in in American history and more, uh, I want to talk a little bit about the symposium you and I both were a part of on Saturday and and about what that means. Secretary, and I'll, I'll give you this to chew on during the break, Peter. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, uh, made a statement that is driving the left absolutely bananas right now. He Good has declared him. he has declared that the most dangerous person in the world right now is not Vladimir Putin. The most dangerous person in the world right now is Randy Weingarten. And, yeah, yeah. And, 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 and I think he's got a really, really good point. I'll let you talk about that when we continue right after this on Always Right Radio. You deserve a fair price. Okay, it's uh, 1027. Pete, let's spend the uh, last three minutes of this segment before the bottom of the hour talking about this comment from Mike Pompeo in an interview with Semaphore. Uh, asked about the teachers, uh, the state of education in America, Pompeo said, quote, I tell the story often. I get asked, who's the most dangerous person in the world? Is it Chairman Kim? Is it Xi Jinping? The most dangerous person in the world is Randy Weingarten. It's not a close call. Who's the most likely to take this republic down? It would be the teachers' unions and the filth that they are teaching our kids and the fact that they don't know math or reading or writing, end quote. Pete, we can talk more about this after the break, break but uh, give me your first uh, blush reaction. I uh, couldn't agree more with Pompeo. Now, it may be a little bit of an exaggeration. I don't know that she is the most dangerous person in the world. But look, Mike Pompeo, number one from West Point, uh, Secretary of State, he's got tons of experience at this stuff. He's met some of the most dangerous people in the world. Yeah. And um, I can't argue with that conclusion, but I, I, it may be slight hyperbole, but not by much. She may be the most dangerous person in America. Look, look at our reading, math, and science scores. We talked about this on Saturday. Reading, we're eighth in the world. Okay. Maybe we're not number one. You know, maybe it's Germany, Sweden. A couple of other countries are ahead of us, okay? Uh, that's still not where we want to be, but eighth. Science, we're 18th. Now, that's not just first world countries we're talking about now. Now we're talking about second world countries that are ahead of us. In math, though, we are 36th. That means third world countries are beating us. This is horrendous, but it also it's a matter of our culture. The way in which the teachers' unions, and I'm not talking about teachers, but the teachers' unions and the drive of their agenda is dumbing down our schools, but also, I hate to sound like I'm a schoolmarm of some sort, no, no pun intended, but it's, it's a kind of a perversion of our culture. When you've got drag, drag queen story hour in the schools, 
What pedagogical purpose can that possibly have? It doesn't. This is nuts on steroids. We better get our arms around this very fast or we're going to lose another generation of kids just by the virtue of the fact that we're not even competitive. But more importantly, when you don't have a cultural background, when you don't have a moral foundation, all of the learning all of the scores in math and science can go by the wayside. They won't mean a thing. And unfortunately, that's what's going on right now, and we better stop it. Very well said, Pete. And uh, in, in time, too. Because uh, when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about the problem and then maybe a little bit about the solution as well. Uh, the solution is probably not private schools. It's probably not parochial schools because so much of this garbage is still going on there as well. But the radical teachers' unions running and driving the curricula, convincing administrators to do this, convincing board members to let them do this, I think that's why. Pompeo's right. Randy Weingarten, maybe not as a person, but what she leads is extraordinarily dangerous for the future of this republic. And uh, we'll talk more about it after the news. Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. Hope you understand what the vice president is. I am here, standing here on the northern flank, on the eastern flank. Always right with Bob France. A friend in need is a friend indeed. <laughs> <laughs> on AM 1420, the answer. You gotta, you gotta love diversity hiring practices, don't you? 1037, Always Right Radio, <laughs> excuse me, on AM 1420, the answer. We continue now with our friend Peter Kirsten. Now, by the way, Peter, thank you so much for sitting uh, in for me uh, the last couple of Fridays. Uh, I know it's been a, a busy time for you, too, uh, but I really appreciate you giving me a breather. Uh, uh, did, the, did the folks treat you okay? Uh, the folks are great. We've got the best audience uh, imaginable, and, you know, they always go out of their way to come up to us uh, when we're at live events and uh, introduce themselves, some of our callers and other listeners. So it's um, it was a lot of fun. Thanks for asking me. Well, I appreciate you doing it. I also appreciate you being there on Saturday when we had our uh, uh, NIOCA Northeast Ohio Classical Academy Symposium. We're talking about the development and the uh, construction and the funding for um, a public charter school that would be free to students to attend that just might be the answer to all of the things that continue to ail the current public education system and far too often wokeness in the private and parochial edu- uh, school educations. Pete, you heard some horror stories there, as I did, about you know, pronoun uh, 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 mandates and, uh, you know, pushing the CRT, the SEL, social-emotional learning, uh, the comprehensive sex education on kids, forcing teachers and kids to uh, comply with all of these new radical ideas. You pointed out that it's failing our kids in terms of their achievement levels, as you quoted some of those statistics in our international rankings. But it's doing more than just not teaching kids to improve in those areas. It's teaching kids to become activists. It's teaching kids to become radicalized. And the more people like Randy Weingarten and the teachers' unions force the parents out of that conversation, the worse it gets. And when when, uh, Pompeo called her the most dangerous person in the world, I know why. Does that mean she's dropping nuclear bombs? No. But, you know, within when the current generation of, you know, preschool and primary school age kids become adults, I think that's about the time we start to see the end, the destruction of the country because of what they are being indoctrinated with right now. And I would call that pretty doggone extreme, pretty doggone dangerous. 
It is very dangerous. Uh, you know, you take a look at, let's just look at the educational component for a second and then move on to what I think is even a greater threat to this eroding of any kind of a moral underpinning or foundation to society, which is one of the primary predicates to having a good education. But look at what's happening in our public schools and especially with the growth and the power of the teachers union, especially in in this administration, but almost every Democratic administration, they've got extraordinary power. They pretty much dictate to the Department of Education, to some extent to the Department of Health and Human Services, the direction in which they're going to go. And what direction have we gone in? We've gone downhill, especially among our more vulnerable populations. 71% of Baltimore students, 71% have a 1.0 average or lower. Any teachers union that permits that to happen anywhere in the United States of America should be immediately disbanded, but they go beyond that. They're introducing, as I said at the outset, you know, drag queen story hour and all manner of, of idiocy and immorality in the schools. Look, we talked a little bit and about Pete, the founding they're, fathers. Pete, they're brazen about it. I apologize. They're brazen about it. There are there are Democrat leaders and in educa- in the field of education who have declared a drag queen for every school. They think there is some sort of fundamental benefit to this of grown adult men wearing women's lingerie and reading to and eventually dancing and twerking with children. I, you know, I I said it before. You know, I I don't call this drag time. I call the police if I see something like yep. that happening, and they want to bring it into the schools welcoming them right you call the police because you don't want people to take matters into their own hands because there's a natural parental response to that now i'm not encouraging people to engage in violence or anything but i understand what would happen if that ever happened to my kids and what they're trying to do is detach children from their parents and children away from any foundational um moral underpinnings um it is that is what is most troubling. Yeah, there were graduating stupid kids who can't read, write, or anything else. But beyond that, the type of people that we're creating to be individuals in a democratic republic, a free republic, they're not going to be able to sustain that republic. The founding fathers, including the evil, apparently, John Marshall, understood that a certain type of character needed to be in place in order to preserve a republic such as ours, a free republic such as ours. And without that, we'll devolve into kind of a statist um, uh, a polity. And that's precisely, as I said before, what, you know, the, the left likes to laugh about these things because they're laughing to obscure the fact that they're achieving their goals. When Besmanov, the KGB defector, said this is precisely what our objective is, um, the teachers' unions are implementing this objective. They're doing it. It's really an amazing. No, I'm not saying all teachers are bad or anything. That's not my point. It's the teachers' union. It's like almost any other entity. When you get a collection of individuals, all of a sudden the focus starts to turn to the institution rather than the individual, and that's a bad focus. But we're going the wrong direction, Bob. It's, it's horrible, and if we don't turn it around fast, we won't recognize the United States. I won't recognize it already. Uh, but we are going to be in a place where we can't preserve our constitutional republic. Peter, I've got two more for you this morning. Uh, I want to go to San Francisco, and this one is actually a two-parter, too. You may or may not have heard that San Francisco, the city, uh, is taking city taxpayer dollars, and they are collecting them and pooling them together in uh, $1,200 increments, and they're giving $1,200 stimulus payments 
to individuals in the city for being trans. Quite literally, just that. If you're trans and they have 97 different definitions of genders or identities that could qualify you as trans, you can get and fill out an application and get $1,200 a month, unconditional and permanent, for 18 months simply for being trans because of the marginalization of that community. You can speak to that, and then when you're done... Speak to the San Francisco Elections Commission, which has decided to not renew the director of that commission, John Arntz's contract. Why? Because he's not a minority. Literally telling him directly, quote, Our decision wasn't about your performance, but after 20 years, we wanted to take action on the city's racial equity plan and give people an opportunity to compete for a leadership position, end quote. In other words, you're fired because you're white, and we want people of color to be able to compete for your job. We can't sit around here waiting for guys like you to retire. Uh, Pete? Yeah, either one. You know, <laughs> I wish I was a plaintiff's counsel because, boy, oh boy, somebody's going <laughs> to clean up. Uh, you know, that clearly, that's a violation of the law. There's no doubt about that. You cannot do that. You cannot discriminate on the basis of race just because you think it's quote unquote good discrimination. All right, it's going in a in, in a politically approved direction. Sorry, that's not what the 1964 Civil Rights Act says or the 14th Amendment. That's not what it says. So I'm hopeful that he, you know, he's on. California. So Harmeet Dillon is out there. I'm sure that uh, they've been in touch already. And Harmeet's going to get a nice paycheck out of this. And so is he. He's going to be retiring a lot sooner than he thought and very uh, probably in Hawaii someplace. If San Francisco wants to waste or if its school board wants to waste taxpayer dollars like that, some of the taxpayers of San Francisco, if they're going to put up with this lunacy, fine. Just don't export it to the rest of the United States. And also with respect to all the other lunacies that you just talked about, I mean, this is almost like the collapse of Rome. You yeah, can't get it does. This, you, you can't get this dumb. You really can't. It, you've got to try hard. This doesn't happen naturally. You've got to have an, a plan to be this stupid. And unfortunately, that's, that's what's happening right now. We're seeing a collapse of our educational institutions and many other institutions across the country. And the question has to be asked, is this just happenstance, uh, a result of very bad policies that you know were well-intended but just didn't work out? Or is it intentional? And I think it's probably a combination of both. I think some of it's intentional because when you have a collapse of certain institutions, what happens? The government has to step in, and that's precisely what the left would like to happen. I think some of this is driven intentionally or being allowed to happen intentionally so they can exert greater governmental control over the various institutions that are failing, and so many are, starting with education. Now, they already have a chokehold on education, um, but it goes to the culture. They, they know that if they can control education and its collapse and undermine our founding principles uh, in, um, in doing so, then you know, they will undermine what they hate about the United States of America, which is just about everything. They really can't stand the United States of America. Again, this is the Howard Zinn approach to America, and it's not America. It really is. It tells lies about the United States of America, and it tries to foist a system that has caused misery throughout history and in every geographic region in which it's been tried. And now, despite the fact 
that we have examples of this throughout history to guide us, whereas maybe others didn't, we are still embarking on this lunacy. Smart people need to stand up and be resolute about this and stop it right now. And Biden is either doing these kinds of things and his entire administration is doing these things or supporting these things either intentionally or because he's too stupid to realize what's going on. But there are smart people you know, at least smart in terms of their ability to cogitate, um, who are driving this within his administration and within the culture also. And we've got to be fighting this tooth and nail. Otherwise, we will lose not just the next generation, but the United States of America is currently constituted. All right, Peter, really, really great response. By the way, your new word of the day, I love that you give us a new vocabulary word of the day, cogitate, cogitate, the new word of the day from Peter Kersenow. To ponder no, no, and meditate. I probably used it incorrectly. No, you don't use it. You, you, you blow me away with that. I love that. I have a good vocabulary, but I feel like a child when I listen to you. All right, Pete, um, the other one is this. It's going to stay in the race realm because, um, it, well, because I guess we're in 2022, and I guess everything is somehow in the race realm. University of Florida has retracted a scholarship offer to a four-star high school quarterback who was recruited heavily, as you can imagine four-star quarterbacks are. He had offers from a number of schools. He chose the University of Florida. They have retracted that scholarship offer because of something that happened online. There's a video of Marcus Stokes in his car singing along the radio. You ever sing along to the radio when you're in a car and you don't think anybody's watching? No, I want to scare anybody. You know, Most of us... Most of us do at some point in our absent-mindedness. We find ourselves singing along. Well, he was rapping. He was rapping along to a rap song. And in that rap song, uh, the N-word was was there, as is in most rap songs. The N-I-G-G-A version, not the E-R version. But nonetheless, the N-word as some define it. Because of his rapping along to a song, he has had his scholarship offer revoked. He has apologized, tried to unring the bell. Quote, I was in my car listening to rap music, rapping along to the words, posted a video of it on social media. I deeply apologize for the words in the song that I chose to say. It was hurtful and offensive to many people, and I regret that. I fully accept the consequences for my action, and I respect the University of Florida's decision to withdraw my scholarship offer to play football. Pete, you think anybody else is going to offer this kid in this climate? Uh, No, I don't think so. And, you know, I think every time I think we've reached peak idiocy, uh, it goes a little bit farther. I'm I'm not supporting, you know, saying, you know, using the N-word or anything like that, but my goodness, this is nuts. And everybody knows it's nuts. What troubles me is we're going along with it. No one's willing to stand up and say, this is infantile. We have, we're supposed to have adults at the University of Florida, any university, heck, every elementary school is supposed to have some adults manning it. But we've lost our senses. We can't properly calibrate offenses. I guarantee you that there are probably hundreds, if not thousands of students at the University of Florida right now who've used that word and used it regularly, and we don't know about it, wasn't captured on video. His offense was to have it captured on video, and so he's gone. And what does that, what signal does the University of Florida think they're sending, other than a virtue signal? Does anyone really think that they're somehow a virtuous university just because they did this? No, we think they're idiots. We think they're juvenile. And we don't want, I'll speak for myself, I wouldn't want my child or my grandchild to attend the University of Florida if it's manned by such totalitarian morons. And I mean that 
sincerely. And other universe, we need to get to a place again where we act as rational actors, and we understand that not everybody's perfect. Um, there are probably people at the University of Florida that have committed crimes, okay? Weren't acknowledged. Nobody knew about it. There are probably people at the University of Florida that have done all kinds of manner of bad acts, but they've been admitted, provided they meet the politically correct standards of the day. Again, I'm not defending this particular guy, but I just think we've gotten, we've reached peak lunacy. And I'm not sure that uh, it's going to be subsiding anytime soon, but I sure hope so, because we cannot continue to exist as a country if we embrace this wholeheartedly, and it appears as if almost every institution, mainly because they're scared to death, especially after George Floyd, we saw everybody matriculating to this. By the way, I'm going to go off on a tangent, because it's almost the holiday weekend. Go off on a tangent. You know, I noticed right after George Floyd, I didn't realize this, but when I was watching television, that the country's demographics have changed radically. I think now three quarters of the country is now black. Uh, another 10% has got to be Asian. I think only about 2 or 3% of the country is white now, based on the commercials that I see. Uh, it's really an amazing thing that's transformed so quickly. But, my, you know, this but there's is the no great replacement, we... by the way. Don't, that, that's a terrible conspiratorial. <laughs> there's no great replacement at all. Go ahead. But if you see, if you watch the commercials these days, and happened ever since George Floyd, uh, the commercials seem to suggest that everybody in the United States is black now, or that uh, couples are either, if they're not all black, that they are uh, interracial couples. I've got no problem with it, but what I hate is the, the, the kind of fawning political correctness that these various advertising agencies, everyone's falling in step with this new wokeness. And, you know, it backfires. When I see product placements, they try to tell me a virtue signal how great they are because they have absolutely no white people in it. I'm, I'm wondering about them. I really do. I wonder about their judgment. I guess uh, they've made a different calculation that somehow they achieve some kind of immunity from the wokesters out there who go after them for having, you know, a representative sample, something that's consistent with the percentages in the United States of characters within their commercials. And I don't care what they are, but I just it was such a radical change right after George Floyd where it seemed like every commercial had to have a black person in it or an interracial couple yep. in it or something else. True. Yeah, absolutely right. And, and, you know, the reason I'll defend that kid in Florida, Peter, is, you know, my son uh, plays uh, football for the University of Toledo. His roommate is black. His best friends on the team are black. He's in a wide receiver room. He's one of two white kids among 13, I think it is, or so kids. 11 of them are black, two are white. His friends are black. He likes rap. If my son was in the driver's seat or the passenger seat and his roommate was in, you know, the other one, and the two of them had a rap song on and the two of them were singing and rapping the exact same song and the N-word came up, my son has to zip his lip when that word comes up while the other one keeps on singing it or else he's canceled. Think about that, people. Just think about that because it's reality. One would be fine. The other one would be canceled, uh, revoked or whatever simply for singing the same song, which, by the way, of course, is written and popularized by blacks. So, yeah, uh, Bob, I think Americans across the country need to stand up. Not, look, we're not bracing these words or anything of that nature. That's not what we're doing. We have to stand up to intelligence and stop this moronic rush toward conformity and political correctness, because it's going to dumb us down to the point where we can't compete, where we're going to be hating one another, by the way, and everyone's going to be afraid of how we treat one another, not as fellow Americans, but fellow hyphenated Americans. Uh, That's not the way to have, you know, this is an outgrowth, and we could talk about this for hours and hours, and and I have in various fora, but this is an outgrowth of this push toward diversity. 
I'm not a big fan of quote-unquote diversity. I'm in favor of equal treatment. Diversity seems to be an effort not to have equal treatment. It's to favor certain individuals to get to a desired mathematical result. Okay, has nothing to do or almost nothing whatsoever to do with merit. I'm in favor of unity. This is not the diverse states of America. It's the United States of America. And for a shining moment, right around the time when Martin Luther King talked about the content of the character, I thought that was the best formulation, content of character. And there was maybe a decade or two where we tried to adhere to that ideal, judge people by content of character rather than color of skin. But for the last two and a half to three decades, we've been focused on the latter, color of skin as the be all and end all, as if the amount of melanin you have dictates your privilege in society or how valuable you are in society. And the one area of diversity that should be promoted, diversity of thought, is the one that is quashed. Yep. Uh, by exactly who, right. Yeah. Uh, hey, hey, Mr. Uh, uh, Cogitate, uh, super quick here, as I praise <laughs> your, uh, as I praise your vocabulary skills, you know, you're not the best at this. You, you have some good words, but never forget. I went to an Ivy League school. I'm very highly educated. I know words. <laughs> I have the best words. I have the, but there's no better word than stupid. He has the best words. Never forget that. He does. I know words. I have the best words. He's got the best words. He's got better words than you've got, Pete. He's got better words than anybody's he does. got. He does. <laughs> That's one of my favorite Trumpisms. You know, they, they used to call Reagan the great communicator. And whatever you think about Trump, and I know there are people with varying opinions of him, Trump communicated more simply than almost anybody. He, as he said, he's got big words. He's got the best words. They the best not, ones. They're not necessarily the most, the, the most beautiful or poetic or anything, but people get him, B- the, bad or good. People hate him because of it. He's pretty much a straight talker. Well, you know what? He, uh, he, he, is, he is all of the above, and, uh, and, and it'll be very interesting to see how well that plays now that he is running again. You and I didn't even mention Trump for the entire hour. That's pretty impressive. But we will be doing, we will be doing more on that uh, starting uh, n- uh, next week. Peter, uh, very blessed. Happy Thanksgiving to you and your family. Happy Thanksgiving, Bob. Thank you, Pete. Uh, 1057, back after the news on Always Right Radio. Whatever it is, that girl put a spell on me. This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by The Floor King and Keeping Medicare Simple. You and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead, who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis, didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. is Always Right Radio with Bob Frantz on AM 1420, The Answer. Onward, we roll into our number three. Good morning once again. Thanks for being with us on Always Right Radio. It is a Tuesday. It's the 22nd morning of the 11th month of the year of our Lord, 2022. And we're still trying to piece it all together uh, today. 
We're trying to piece together what happened in Colorado. We're trying to piece together why it is that people think that defending children is somehow, some way, responsible for what happened in Colorado with that terrible, terrible mass shooting. Uh, we, excuse me, we've covered a lot of the ground, and they're covering a lot of this ground in schools, too, which is the reason I was talking about it so long with Peter. And the other, re- the other place they're, uh, they're covering this, as you probably know, is at Disney. We have spoken at length about uh, Governor Ron DeSantis down in Florida's willingness to punch Mickey right in the mouth when Mickey starts to try to groom children. And that is exactly what Disney has been working on doing. They admit it. We had videos of their staff Zoom call in which they talk about their intent to gay up and diversify as much as they can Disney's products, both in, I'm sorry, Disney's products, along with their uh, movies, as well as their in-park experiences. They're trying to gay it up as much as they can. Um, Ron DeSantis fought back against that, knowing full well that Disney is his state's largest employer, knowing full well that Disney is his state's largest source of tax revenue. He still stood up to them. And the negative press that Disney got over this, and this, of course, all ties back to the don't say gay bill, as the left likes to call it, which, of course, is it is nothing of the sort. It is don't teach sexuality and sexualization to children before the fourth grade. In reality, that that edict should be don't teach children about sex, sexuality, sexual orientation, and the uh, the mythical sexual identification. Say save for uh, those with actual gender dysphoria. They shouldn't teach that before probably eighth grade, maybe ninth. But nonetheless, Disney, of course, went all in. Well, Disney, of course, is dying. Go woke, go broke. According to the most recent reports, Disney lost $1.47 billion in the last quarter, more than twice the year earlier loss. So Disney has been forced to do what? Fire their leadership. According to the Wall Street Journal, Walt Disney Company's board of directors Sunday night replaced Chief Executive Bob Chapek with Robert Iger, the company's former chairman and CEO, who left the company at the end of last year, according to an announcement. This month, the company reported weaker-than-expected fourth-quarter financial results, killing the momentum built uh, up over a strong year that saw record revenue and profits in multiple divisions, especially the one that includes theme parks. Disney's theme park business has recovered strongly since the coronavirus pandemic shut its venues across the world, but the division continues to subsidize widening losses in the streaming video business. Chapek said repeatedly he expects the streaming business to be profitable by September 2024, but here's that number I quoted a minute ago. Uh, the, in the most recent quarter, it lost $1.47 billion, more than twice the year earlier loss. Iger returns under less than ideal circumstances, walking back into a job as a conquering hero to an employee base desperate for leadership and the prospects of better times ahead. But he's repeatedly said he wouldn't return as CEO, and he now has earned a reputation for undermining several handpicked successors. His tenure has been marked with wokeness in parks. Chapek's tenure, rather, had been marked with wokeness in parks, shows and movies, political activism, and further kowtowing to China which has no doubt turned off many former Disney fans. 
So I think it's um, it's you know it kind of speaks to the to the larger issue here, um, which has been repeatedly go woke go broke. Now in this case, obviously there's mixed financial reporting with the streaming side versus the in park experience side, but more and more people when they learn when they go to Disney Disneyland rather or Disney World in Florida. Disneyland, of course, is the California version. But more and more people, when they go there and they find out that, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, are no longer welcomed at Disney parks. Now, they change the language to be dreamers of all ages, refusing to identify males, females, boys, and girls. Refusing to acknowledge the simple, basic reality that ain't but two genders. Two genders, ain't nothing but men and women. And people are changing their plans. They're going elsewhere. They're not watching the movies that are intentionally being, quote-unquote, gayed up by Disney's filmmakers. That's the reason the streaming service is losing billions of dollars every quarter. And, of course, the idea here isn't to be, quote-unquote, anti-gay. It is to stop forcing the alternative lifestyle into the mainstream of Disney products and Disney uh, uh, presentations. Because it is quite simply not the norm. It is not the mainstream. It is still alternative. And the fact that they are recruiting more and more people into it in the schools, of course, is one of the issues that we continue to to discuss and, and fight back against every single day. So my question for you is, do you still partake of the Disney products? Disney is in such a state that they had to fire the guy who was responsible for the wokeness in the parks, the shows, and the movies, the political activism, and the kowtowing to China, and return to their previous CEO, indicating things are indeed getting to be a little bit concerning for the, uh, for the woke company. And by the way, if you didn't know this part about it, Disney has a huge footprint. It is much bigger than just Mickey Mouse and the, the entirety of the parks and the streaming, etc. Disney is the parent company of ESPN. ESPN. ESPN is a sports service that stopped being about sports and started being about left-wing, woke uh, products, policies, stances, commentary, and so forth uh, several years ago. I used to be a regular, a regular viewer of SportsCenter. If I walk into the house at any time of the day and I flip on the TV and I can't find anything really on, I just default to ESPN and watch SportsCenter. What's the latest? All the highlights of the night before, all of the previews of the games to come, all of the individual documentaries-type features and stories. It was great. As a sports nut, I loved every bit of it. I haven't watched SportsCenter for more than 30 seconds other than maybe to catch a score to see what happened in a game in one place last night or whenever it might be. I haven't watched Disney or Disney. Okay, Disney's ESPN for longer than that 30 seconds, uh, probably in a good five years. My wife will tell you. I mean, I, it used to be a default that the TV would be left on ESPN. That's the way it is. But I can't do it anymore. And the sad reality is the leagues in wh- uh, upon which uh, uh, ESPN reports and does stories on and scores on and so forth, they're just as woke as the network itself. And that's why I'm not even really you know, that much of a diehard sports fan anymore, other than college sports, watch my son play. Other than that, with the pro sports and with, uh, with ESPN's left-wing lurch and Disney's left-wing lurch, I just don't want anything to do with it. I'm curious to find out if you uh, are the same way. 
I know people who have planned to take Disney cruises because they've taken Disney cruises before and they've been wonderful, who have canceled those plans and they find themselves on Carnival Cruise Lines or they find themselves on whatever the other ones are. I'm not a huge cruise person. I've only been on one in my life. But they're literally saying, no, not going to put myself on the ship with the mouse. Not that the mouse itself is the issue, of course, but the representation of what it is. They're not going to refer to my child as a boy. They're not going to refer to my girl as a girl. They're not going to say, you can be a fairy princess to my daughter, which is the uh, ambition of so many young Disney girl fans through the, the, the decades and decades and decades. No, you can't be. But they might say it to my boy. You can be a fairy princess, young person. I, I No, not doing it. Not putting my kids in a position like that. Won't put my future grandkids in a position like that. I will avoid it altogether. This culture war, my friends, is more than just about who's right and who's wrong today. It is about what is being done for the future. There is a goal that is that is very, very plain to see. Oftentimes they say it out loud. But the left has a goal of destroying the, the, the Christian capitalist nature of this republic. They want to turn it into something that is exactly the opposite. The non-religious, socialist, Democracy, if you still want to call democracy, democracy in that forum. They like to say democracy is under under attack and so forth, but we are not a democracy. We do use democracy as a part of our uh, capitalist um, constitutional republic. But you understand the point that I'm making. The opposite of everything that the country is now is what they are trying to do. They didn't make it make a mistake. They didn't slip. They said it loudly. They said it proudly. We will fundamentally transform this country into something else. And that's something else as its roots in socialism and Marxism. And they don't even hide it anymore. This is a part of that effort. I won't be a part of it. How about you? 216-901-0945, I want to get your thoughts on that. We've got a lot more to talk about as well as we continue on Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. Radio.com. The Bullington Capital Report. You know, there are an awful lot of people that go through life that are really good memorizers. Not so much on the critical thinking part, where you have to break it down yourself and figure out what answers are when the answers are in the books. It really is difficult to know. Because if you're just memorizing the answers, when you come up to a situation where there hasn't been an answer written down yet, because nobody's had to stop and figure it out, you can have a problem. Saturday mornings at 11 on AM 1420. The Answer. And Odyssey. Keeping you informed among the uninformed. Always Right Radio with Bob France on The Answer. 1123, we continue now on Always Right Radio and 1420 The Answer. This is an interesting little clip I wanted to fire away. Uh, no pun intended. When we talk about guns, uh, you know, the, the instantaneous reaction to uh, the Colorado Springs horrific uh, mass shooting event that uh, killed five and injured over 20, 25, somewhere in that neighborhood, uh, on Saturday, the two instantaneous reactions were hatred, gay hate, anti-LGBTQ people uh, made this happen, and guns. Got to get the guns out. Joe Biden immediately said, we don't know the motive. We don't know about the motive, but we got to get the guns out of here. It's, 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 you know, it's become just a standard default answer. 
But this is very interesting. One of the survivors at the club, a place called Club Q in Colorado Springs, notorious as a gay bar, um, has said that protecting the patrons in places like this is going to be a lot harder if we're just forced to tackle the gunman. Because that's what happened here. Uh, the gunman was subdued by patrons of the bar uh, and beaten up pretty good, which is not good enough. Probably needed to beat him to death. But the one, you know, silver lining, if you will, that this mass murderer is still alive is that they can find out what his motivation is, hopefully through interviews and through questioning and testimony, find out exactly what the real story was. But nonetheless, at least one of the survivors in Club Q says, um, if we have to tackle people and beat them up to stop them from being mass shooters in that bar or in any kind of a bar, um, that's a problem. We should probably do something different. I'm sorry, go ahead. So, Barrett, without without a safe place, we know that LGBTQ plus bars, clubs have been a safe place for people where they can go in and be themselves, whether they're a member of the community or not. And, and you feel right now that you don't have that. I don't have that because one thing I've noticed, I go to I've been around the world, a lot of gay bars and security is very slim. And. I, I get security. Security nowadays, some of them can carry weapons, some of them can't. I think for the uh, LGBTQ bar, you've got to get a security that can carry a weapon. I think that would make a world of difference. Not just a security guard, but like security guards that can that, are, that can actually be armed. What a novel idea! What a, what a what a crazy suggestion that maybe to protect people in high traffic crowded areas from mass shooters and would-be murderers, maybe we need to arm the security personnel in these facilities, in these places. Now, he said in gay bars, I would dare suggest everywhere. We already have armed security in so many places where the individuals who are being targeted are considered to be important. But we don't put armed security in places where we don't consider the potential targets important. In other words, we put armed security in our banks to make sure that our money is protected. That's an important target. We put armed security in our courtrooms, in courthouses, justice centers, because judges and lawyers and witnesses are considered to be important. We put armed security at our stadiums because we need to make sure that drunken fans are protected because those targets are important. But we don't put armed security in our schools because our children, I guess, are not considered to be important. Why is it that armed security is only reserved for some places but not others? If we are in a talking about, and we have seen, by the way, mass shootings in clubs that are not gay clubs. We have seen mass shootings in churches that are not black churches, that are not temples filled with Jews. We have seen mass shootings in grocery stores that are not black area grocery stores like the one in Buffalo. We have seen mass shootings in white churches in white uh, uh, area grocery stores. We have seen them in Catholic and, and, and Christian uh, churches. We have seen these kinds of things in, 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 in 
straight bars, or in other words, just bars and clubs that are not identifiable as gay bars. We've seen these kinds of things everywhere. And when you have massive amounts of people in a very small area and there's no place to run and there's no place to hide, it is indeed a prime target for shootings. And we have seen it in every one of the venues that I just referenced. And we have seen it done. And guess what? The ones where the least amount of damage has been caused, the ones where the least amount of fatalities, the lowest amount of fatalities have been the result, are the ones when somebody had a gun and was able to fire back faster. That's it. I don't mean to be redundant about this, but... When 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 minutes matter, when seconds matter, cops are minutes away. That's the reality. And in some places, many minutes. But at the end of the day, every one of these things ends in 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 one immutable truth: they are taken out by good people with guns. As a matter of fact, I think this case in Colorado Springs is the first one where the gun didn't make it to the scene in time to stop this guy. And fortunately, there were because of the crowd. Because of the number of people, um, some of the patrons were able to get up on behind or to the side of the individual and tackle him and take him down and stop him from shooting. That is not easy, and especially if it is a more open area. That is not something that is advisable. You go rushing somebody with a, with a shotgun or with a rifle or with a handgun. It doesn't matter. You go rushing them. You run, you run a very, very severe risk of being shot immediately as you do so. But when it's a super crowded place and people can come up behind him and they can subdue him, that makes this one of the very few, very, very rare occasions where uh, the only thing that stopped the bad guy with a gun was the presence of good guys with guns. Usually they're police officers. Sometimes they're not. We recall the Minnesota uh, uh, mall shooting of about six months ago or so. And you remember the good guy with the gun who had a concealed carry dropped the mass shooter with eight out of ten hits from, I think it was 40 yards away, and stopped what could have been a much, much deadlier situation. So this individual, this uh, this Club Q patron, said we need more security, and it needs to be armed security in the gay bars, I think is scratching the surface there. It needs to be in all of these types of high-traffic places where targets uh, are considered to be vulnerable. 11.30, time for news. Right back. Always Ray Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. Sixty percent of the time, it works every time. Always right with Bob France. That doesn't make sense. On AM fourteen twenty, the answer. It doesn't have to when you're talking about leftism. By the way, ten uh, eleven thirty five now. <clears throat> final segment of the program for the morning. We got some Charlie Kirk. Well, actually, Bill O'Reilly is going to take it at the top of the hour. Then some Charlie Kirk. Then some Dennis Prager. Then some Sebastian Gorka. Some Seculo. Some uh, Officer Tatum. And uh, you're going to enjoy it all day long. Right here on AM 1420, The Answer. Don't forget, tomorrow will be our last live show. We're going to be best of mode. You're going to want to tune in Thanksgiving morning as you dress the turkey and do the things that you do to get ready on uh, Thanksgiving Day. Make sure you have the radio on because some of the best uh, segments and interviews that we've done over the course of the last several months or last few years, whatever the case might be, whatever our producers feel like putting together, it's going to be great stuff, and you're going to enjoy some of those conversations all over again on uh, both Thursday and Black Friday morning. Uh, BJ's in North Olmstead. BJ, you're on AM 1420, The Answer. Sir, good morning. Are you in a bad mood today, sir? No. I happen to be in a, in a wonderful mood. It's a sunny day. 
Good. And uh, I'm grateful for being alive in another sunny day. Last couple of calls you've made, my friend. You've uh, you've been in that dark place where you're talking about how you uh, you know you're glad you're not going to be around to see some of the terrible things that are in store for the younger generation because we're not taking care of business here. So, and I don't blame well, you for me, that feeling, but I'm glad you're in a more optimistic feeling today. No, I am actually. I am probably more optimistic today than I have been in the last couple months. Good to and hear. there's a reason for it. What is it? The level of awareness is starting to rise among the American public. What you discussed today is going to grow more in the next two months. You, you'll be very much aware of this. The American public has been bamboozled by politicians and by a lot of other groups, but there's a group out there that wants to tear down people's religion, people's neighborhoods, people's lifestyle, and when that group becomes more identified as to what, who they are, and why they are, and why they're doing what they're doing, and it's going to be revealed, you're going to see the you-know-what hit the fan. It's going to get very intense, but be aware of this. In December and January, there's going to be a, a wide-range awakening of the American public of this wonderful country we live in, the things we have in this country, and what's going down around the world. And I also have this feeling. Women are waking up and saying, enough of this nonsense. And it's happening globally. It's happening where these women are cutting their hair off in the Muslim countries. It's happening in China. It's happening in Europe. And we're not getting it from the news people. They don't want the American women to know about this. But there's an awakening of the American women, the mothers of men and women. And I have a lot of positive feelings that it's going to be, uh, <laughs> it's going to be a very interesting time. To, I am more to what, BJ, BJ, I apologize if I'm missing it. To what do you attribute this belief that December and January in particular are going to be um, the, uh, a time of this great awakening? Well, one of them is the days coming up, Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's. Uh, the awareness of factor. I'm seeing people, people have put a lot of Halloween stuff out. It was a kind of a horrifying thing to see all the, all the negative Halloween and death and all this. But now I'm seeing a lot of people putting up their Christmas ornaments. So I think it's a spiritual awakening. Okay. When I say spiritual, I'm not talking religious. It's bigger than that. It transcends that. I think the creator of all things has had enough BS of people's behavior on this planet, and he's awakening us. And if you do believe in the Holy Spirit or believe in whatever religion you're in, it's been predicted. And it happens every so many centuries where... The, the people of the planet are wakened up by something earth-shattering, either a comet coming or earthquakes or volcanoes. Well, this is a spiritual awakening of the soul. That's my, that's my feeling. That's why I'm sharing it with you. And, and your intensity has been growing very, very much. I would like for you to sit down and have a conversation with yourself and ask yourself, how far are you willing to go in this battle to save our country? Because you're doing a hell of a good job, Bob, and I thank you for your time. Well, thank you, BJ, for the call and for the comments. Uh, I've said many times there are hills upon which I will die, and it's a you know metaphorical statement, uh, but I believe it and I mean it from a you know from a career slash influence standpoint. Yeah, um, I recognize the platform that I've been given, and I recognize the influence that I can have, good or bad, on people uh, in in you know in in various. Uh, forms, 
Um, and does it contribute to saving the country? Yeah, I think it does. And I don't say that because I have a microphone. I say that because I'm just an American who's doing what he can. And I think people like you who call programs like this are doing what you can. I had a caller the other day who said he felt bad that he couldn't do more. I think it was Friday because he called and he said, look, I'm, I'm old. Uh, you know, he said, I'm, I'm, I'm you know, kind of confined to using a walker. I don't get around very well. I don't leave the house too much, that kind of thing. And I'm not doing anything. And he complained about people sitting on their hands and not doing anything. And I thought, wow, you know, you are... You, you're, you're just the opposite of that because you're doing everything you can. You can't get out there and physically change the world, but you're doing what you can by sharing ideas uh, in for public forums like this one. And, and I'll tell you something else. Um, Saturday morning, we were at the, uh, the um, uh, Northeast Ohio Classical Academy uh, Symposium, which was sold out around 180 or 200 or whatever seats, uh, to a continental breakfast event in which we heard some presentations and speeches from Hillsdale College and some of those behind the Hillsdale K-12 education model that is being used as the Hillsdale, Hillsdale Barney Charter School uh, model to you know provide kids with an opportunity to go and learn without being uh, coerced, groomed, and indoctrinated into strange, radical uh, things, without having their minds polluted by false history. Literal false fake news history, like 1619 projects and CRT and other things of that nature. And there, at the end of the event, we had a Q&A, or near the end of the event, we had a Q&A, and audience members were allowed to ask questions of the panel uh, that I moderated. And there were six panelists, and uh, one of the questions from a, from a lady was very, very doomy and gloomy. Kind of what uh, BJ's you know, last couple of calls had been before this refreshing air of optimism that he just offered us. And the person said, this woman said, um, I, I feel like we're going to lose. Despite all of the optimistic things presented in that you know, two-and-a-half-hour forum, she said, I feel like, like we're going to lose because we don't have power. We don't have the control. Uh, they're always going to do everything they can to stop us. And a few people responded to that, but I couldn't, even though I was moderating the panel and not a member of the panel, I felt I needed to offer an opinion. And when she was done, I said, here's why we're not going to lose. Here's why we're going to win. I said, you just pointed out that they're watching us. They're listening to us. They're monitoring us. And they're willing to censor us. They're willing to take us down to help destroy our own personal lives if we're getting in the way of their agenda. And I said to the, to the woman, you're right. They're doing all of those things to us. And that's why we're going to win. You want to know why? I said, because here you sit. This was just my moment, you know, my thought at the time. Here you sit. A sold-out event to try to build support for, financial and otherwise, a public charter school that will take all of this stuff out of the educational experience, put parents back in charge along with the administrators and teachers in a classical uh, education academy. I say, here's 200 people knowing that they're being targeted, knowing that their ideas are being challenged, knowing that they're... um, uh, they're going to be called uh, radicals, that they're going to be called extremists, that they're going to be called bigots if you push for places that aren't teaching gender theory and critical race theory. Knowing all of that, here you sit, 200 strong and, and ready to fight the fight and ready to take that message to others. Here you sit. And that was my message to them, and that's my message to you. 
That's how we know we're going to win. We're going to fight the fight because we're not afraid of what they can do to us. We're not afraid, and we know full well what the ramifications are if we don't fight, or if we fight it half-heartedly, or if I may say half-acidly. If we fight that way, we will lose, and the ramifications are greater than we can imagine. I said before that if we don't fight this fight, I talked to Peter Kirst now, who talked about the fatigue of it all. That the current generation of kindergartners and in that age range, when they become adults, the country will be unrecognizable if we don't stop it right now. Thanks, everyone, for being a part of it. That's what we're here for. Let's continue this tomorrow right here on Always Right Radio. Have a great day. Bye-bye.